You've experienced the phenomenon, I imagine. Ranked choice voting. There's a phrase or an idea you've never heard of until one day somebody clues you in about it. Maine, home to lobster, moose, and now something called ranked choice voting, making its debut in today's primary. Instead of just voting for one person, uh, instead you rank your choices. You could vote for me as your number one, knowing that you could vote for Hillary Clinton or whoever your safety is as your number two. Well, Maine voted 55-45 to keep that new system. Yes, they voted on how to vote uh, while voting in this new way. Long story. You go Google it and figure that out if you want more details. And after that, you notice that term cropping up over and over all around you. Ranked choice voting. Ranked choice voting. Ranked choice voting. Ranked choice voting. Which brings us to... Ranked choice voting. Ranked choice voting dramatically changes the way we vote. Once the darling of only a tiny cohort of election reform geeks, this once obscure reform idea is suddenly having its moment. Hi guys, it's Jen Lawrence. Did you know that there's an election coming up on June 12th? It's so important to get out and vote yes on question one to protect ranked choice voting. I'm Chris Satulo, and this is 20 by 70, the Committee of 70's podcast for people who expect more from Philadelphia. The people of Maine just voted for the second time to endorse ranked choice voting in their state, upholding the new approach after state lawmakers nullified a previous referendum in favor of it. Ranked choice voting is also how San Franciscans just elected a new mayor, using this system that's also known as instant runoff. What is ranked choice voting? Well, it gives you, the voter, the power to rank candidates from your favorite to your least favorite. Systems do vary as to how deep on a deep ballot those rankings can go. On election night, all the ballots are counted for voters' first choices. If one candidate receives an outright majority, he or she wins. But if no candidate receives a majority, the candidate with the fewest first choices is eliminated, and voters who like that candidate the best have their balance instantly counted for their second choice. This process repeats, and last place candidates fall away until one candidate reaches a majority and wins. So, no more primaries followed by two candidate general elections. No more lesser of two evils choices. Just one big election where you get to have your say about multiple candidates. Sound cool? Sound confusing? Well, let's talk to a Philadelphian who's done ranked choice voting many times and just loves it. Siobhan Lyons is head of an organization here in town known as Citizens Diplomacy International. But she's also a citizen of the Republic of Ireland, which has used a form of ranked choice voting since 1919. Welcome, Siobhan. Thanks, Chris, for having me. So uh, let's do a little background to sort of explain how you got to be in this chair in the studio today. You're an Irish citizen, or right. an Irish native, I should say. Mm-hmm. You were born? I was born in Dublin, um, and I moved to Philadelphia in 2006. And your dad was an Irish diplomat, so you've been all over, right? Yeah, he was a diplomat, and I also served in the diplomatic service. And what other things have you done in Philadelphia before Citizen Diplomacy International? Then tell us a little bit about that job. Well, my first job was at the World Affairs Council, um, and then I moved to the Irish Immigration Center, where I represented immigrants and the Irish community. And then about two years ago, I started at Citizen Diplomacy International to empower Americans to represent the United States. Now tell us a little bit more about what the organization does. Well, our goal is to encourage Americans to realize that their individual actions make a difference on how the United States is viewed around the world. 
world. And we do all kinds of different exchange programs. We connect Philadelphians to our sister cities, um, to international communities, and we try to convene the international community to make Philadelphia a global city. So uh, you maintain Irish citizenship. So at some occasions, you've been able to take part in the voting system in Ireland. What is the voting system in Ireland? In Ireland, we have a type of proportional representation called single transferable vote, which is very similar to the ranked choice voting that is being talked about in the United States right Mm -hmm. now. So how does it work? Um, What kind of offices are subject to this? And then as a voter, um, what's the deal? What's the challenge? What's the process? Um, All of our parliament and our local authorities are single transferable vote can't remember the presidential elections. But the way it works is our country is divided up into constituencies. But instead of having just one person per constituency, you have a number of different seats that are decided by the population. So in my home constituency, Dunleary in uh, Dublin, there would be four seats up for grabs. And then the way it works is you have a list of candidates from different parties and you just rank them in order of your preference. So how many candidates are we talking about here? Um, Well, in Ireland as a whole, there are always at least twice as many candidates as there are seats. Mm -hmm. Um, Oftentimes in my constituency, we had a pretty um, active community and we'd have anywhere between 17 and maybe 25 candidates. 17 to 25 candidates. Yes. So wasn't that overwhelming and baffling? Not at all. Um, It's actually really, really fun. And I think it just it's a much better system because um, you have more choice. I mean, I think one of the things that's most interesting about single transferable vote is that you can have multiple candidates from the same party running for the seat. So if you have only four seats available, you know, in here in the in the United States, you might have four Republicans running for that seat, but also four Democrats and then some independents. Um, And so you have a lot more choice within the party, but also between different parties. Now, do you have anything in Ireland that would be analogous to the party primary here? Not really, because the way uh, we don't have open primaries in the sense that anyone can vote for the primary, um, the candidates are all selected by their parties. Mm-hmm. Sort of at a convention kind of situation? Yes. Yeah. Um, so we don't have open primaries here in Philadelphia either, but so that means about 14% of the city never gets to have a real, real voice in local government. But I think um, the actual voting is more like a primary. So if mm-hmm. you think of something like the 5th Congressional District, where we right. had you know, dozens of candidates right. running for that seat Looked in the familiar primary. familiar to you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Whereas in Ireland, we would have ranked all of those candidates um, in order of preference. So you might have said Mary Gay Scanlon, one, Richie Laser two. Um, and then the, maybe the top three or four would have gone forward and to represent that district. So as a voter in Dunleary, you're picking um, four people to represent you um, in the national government, and you have 17 or 18 choices What goes on? How do you work through that? Do you talk with friends? I mean, is there any conversation or people talking strategies and arguing, no, put this one third, put that one fifth or whatever? Oh, absolutely. Because the parties themselves start off going, please give me your first preference and Mm -hmm. then, you know, vote down the ticket. The parties themselves then often have sort of informal agreements with other parties who are going like, well, if you're Fianna Fáil, you're going to give your transfers to this party. And then, you know, there's a lot of debate. So, I mean, even in my own family, um, there's strategies about whether you maybe just vote one to four or do you vote all the way down the list, down to like 17 or 25. Um, And part of the fun is, you know, in a race of like 17 candidates, I would often start at the bottom. It's like, who do I hate most? (laughs) 
<laughs> it's usually the Christian Solidarity Party. Um, and then, you know, there's some other smaller ones. And you're like, mm, I don't know. That person's really horrible. Do I rank him higher than this person? Um, and then, you know, the parties themselves, they talk about, you know, the transfers because the transfers are so important. So when you say transfer, yeah. can you explain, since the lingo is different, yeah. I want to make the announcement. What's the, the transfer? So the way it works in single transferable vote is you rank your candidates in order of preference. So you one, two, three, four, five. Now, on the first count, they count the first preferences. It's extremely rare for someone to get a seat on just the first count because it's very rare that they're going to get all of the votes they need to hit the quota. And so when you don't, when you go into the second count, what happens is the lowest person gets eliminated and then that vote gets transferred over ah. to the second so person. So it's exactly the same system. It's just a different vocabulary to describe yeah. it. Okay, great. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, so the point is, is that it, your preferences all the way down matter and you can track where your vote goes. Your vote doesn't get wasted if your candidate does not get picked. So 17 to 20 candidates for four spots. I'm imagining that it would be pretty rare for whatever the Irish equivalent of the Associated Press to call an election five minutes after the polls close, right? Does it take a long time to sort through all this? Yes. Um, it can. It usually takes a couple of days. And a couple of days? Yeah. Oh, my God. Wait, we're Americans. We can't possibly wait that. No, really, a couple of days. Yes. Okay. So in my constituency, um, we tend to go into probably more than seven, eight, sometimes 12 or 13 counts um, because there's so many candidates. And part of the excitement is the count. People love the count. And I remember in 2002, that was the first time we brought in electronic voting and everybody hated it. Um, the election results came in too soon. <laughs> the politicians felt it was unfair because they couldn't see how their their votes were going. Mm -hmm. They just got the final results. So they weren't even sort of psychologically prepared to lose their seat. And then eventually we actually got rid of electronic voting. I mean, some of it was because of security, but part of it was that people felt having a very fast result would ruin the political process. So are, are you at paper ballot or you have just a mechanical voting machine? Paper ballots. Paper, back to paper ballots. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of like slow food versus fast food. Mm -hmm. It's very European to say, let's linger over this thing rather than American saying, let's have it done. So is part of the fun that you basically sit in a pub for three days over um, pints of Guinness waiting for the results? or Yeah, I mean, I don't think you sit in the pub for three days, but definitely part of the fun is watching how the election turns out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you could have um, an, you know, a candidate that in its first preference only had, like, say the quota was 5,000, maybe only had 2,500 votes in their first preference. And somebody could have more votes than that. They could have three or 4,000 mm -hmm. in the first preference. But by the time you get through all the counts, that person who started off great didn't have the sort of the support from other people, and so they could lose. So, you know, you don't know until the very end. I mean, the first two seats you're probably going to guess, you know. I mean, if you were up against Brendan Boyle, he would probably get seat number one. Mm -hmm. But then the other three, you have no idea how that's going to go. So, you know, you have had to decide with your friends how you're voting, and, you know, you have all of those discussions. And then you're watching how the counts go and where the votes are going. And oftentimes it comes down to maybe 50 or 100 votes between the last two seats. And if you've been paying attention, you can see if your vote was in there. So this may be a hard question. I understand you haven't been living there for a while. But one of the arguments in the United States for ranked choice voting is the notion that um, 
variously called winner-take-all or first-past-the-post kind of voting, the kind we have, along with the party primary system, is increasingly increasingly creating um, a situation where the most ideological and partisan candidates end up being your choice in the the general election because they're the ones who tend, for a variety of reasons, to have the advantage in party primaries. and there's a sense that sort of the moderate, the independent, the interesting new voice has a very hard time wedging their way in and having any real chance to win um, a traditional American election. Do you have any sense in Ireland of that there's more variety of, and there's more moderate or centrist or, or just sort of different or fresh thinking candidates under the rank, the I'm sorry, the single transfer, single transfer um, system? Um, Absolutely. I think, I mean, proportional representation in general is a fairer and better system. Um, And it provides more choice, but it also means that you have a weaker government, which is one of the reasons why I think Americans should love proportional representation, because people talk about wanting a weak government. Well, in proportional representation, it's unlikely that one party can have enough power to just ram through its agenda. Um, They have to usually, I mean, in Ireland, we almost always have coalition governments. So the majority party has to bring in other players in order to control the House of Parliament. And so you have a system, you know, still has its problems, but is generally more based around collaboration and coming up with compromise. And not to mention, since the history of the creation of the Republic of Ireland, we have always had independence in our parliament. So, you know, right now in 2018, I think we have about 14 parties that are represented. And so their voices have to get heard. So listening to you describe what you see as the virtues of the Irish system, I can imagine the leaders of the two traditional parties in the United States breaking into hives or cold sweats or whatever they tend to when they're um, full of anxiety. And we've seen that after... um, Maine voters um, opted for ranked choice voting in a referendum. The legislature tried to nullify the referendum. And in the last election, the people of Maine came back and said, oh, no, we really meant that. That's what we're doing. California has several cities where ranked choice voting is being used um, in San Francisco, as we mentioned at the top of the podcast. So in response, the traditional party people have been saying, oh, no, this is terrible. It's so confusing. Voters were hated, you know, you know. It'll affect turnout. They're drawing all kinds of dire pictures. So if you're testifying in Congress in front of a panel of people who've said this kind of thing, what would you tell them um, to explain to them that they're wrong, that this is actually a good idea? Oh, I would say all politicians think proportional representation is a terrible idea because it reduces their power. And they want to be in a position where the winner takes all, and then they get the opportunity to put through their own agenda without having significant support. And the great thing about proportional representation is it means the views of the people are reflected. So here in the United States, you wouldn't have red states and blue states. You'd have a lot more purple. And I think that's better for the people. It's not good for the politicians, not at all. They have to work much harder um, and they have much less power and their position is a lot weaker. So yeah, of course, politicians hate it. But Voters love it. Um, In Ireland, they've actually had a couple of different movements to try to move away from single transferable vote, and the people are not having it. Great. Well, well said. That's a a good place to wrap it up. Siobhan Lyons, thank you so much for joining us today at the studios at WXPN. Thank you, Chris. This 20 by 70 podcast was done in partnership with Young Involved Philadelphia, a great group that helps younger Philadelphians stay informed, engaged, and active in the civic and political life of their city. 
To see what Yip is up to and what their next event will be, go to their website, Young Involved Phila. That's Young Involved, P-H-I-L-A, dot org. Okay, now let me bring in the boss, David Thornburg, CEO of the Committee of 70. And David, uh, your eyes were shining throughout that whole time when Siobhan was talking about how much she enjoys ranked choice voting because this is a big idea for you. Well, I have to say first, I like being referred to as the boss because that means I have something in common with Bruce Springsteen. Okay, yeah, There so. you go. But on ranked choice voting, yeah, ranked choice voting is one of those really interesting, somewhat hard to explain ideas that, that could make a significant difference in uh, the voting process and ultimately how people are represented in our democracy. It, it might be one of those shiny little jewels that uh, it's, it's, it's a mixed metaphors is having maybe it's kind of a moment in the sun. Yeah, so what appeals to you so much about the idea? Well, uh, I'm going to seat this in the context of Philadelphia and then in Pennsylvania. Uh, in Philadelphia, we've, we've kind of gotten used to uh, this situation where a very small number of people make significant decisions about uh, who gets elected. Larry Krasner as DA, Jim Kenney. And part of that is because we have a lopsided registration, seven to one, and uh, we ha- and therefore the, uh, the real election is the primary election. The general is kind of a formality. Um, and then in a case, uh, well, actually both Jim Kenney and the, uh, the DA's primary, you have a bunch of candidates. So you put all of that in the blender and you may end up electing, you know, a significant citywide official with maybe, you know, uh, 100,000 voters, uh, well, 100,000 votes, knowing that there are a million uh, registered voters in the city of Philadelphia. And that just seems counterintuitive, wrong, undemocratic. So if you had a ranked choice, it basically takes care of this problem of a large field of candidates um, and gets you to the point, as you as you said, that you're electing a candidate with a majority, i.e. F- more than 50 percent of the votes. So it feels more inclusive, feels like ultimately you make better decisions and so forth. At the state level, I would put ranked choice voting in a package of reforms with open primaries and redistricting reform and so forth that actually might create conditions where uh, candidates, we elect candidates who uh, are more willing and able and have political incentive to move to the center in the old fashioned that oh, the old fashioned time that only Chris and David remember, <laughs> where the process Why, was much. Sonny, there <laughs> so was I a tell day. you, those good old days, where you know we made decisions from a sense of compromise and consensus and so forth. Well, and, as you say that, it seems to me that part of that. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong. Part of that would be we might get candidates running who just don't run now because they can't win well, a primary. Well, that's true. That's true because the, the game uh, in primary elections these days is you focus on a small base of the electorate, you energize them, you knock and drag to make sure that they get out to vote, and there you win. Again, with a, a very small slice of the overall electorate, one of the interesting things about ranked choice voting is a candidate trying to you know play the game and get elected – uh, might 
uh, be uh, have incentive to talk to voters that for whom they might not be their first choice but could be their second or third choice. And therefore, you're broadening the conversation. You're bringing uh, candidates into closer contact with those folks, and you may end up with a, a, a more representative vote at the end of the day. Uh, and, 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 the, and again, in the interest of like trying to fix a hyper-partisan gridlocked system that we seem to be living with these days. And I'm trying to think this through. There are multiple permutations and combinations within the general idea of ranked choice voting. But if you're really doing it as a sort of instant runoff where the the Mm -hmm. victor emerges from one round of voting – that means independents would have to be able to take part. This, yeah. this would be it. This would be the well, election. So yeah, although although there's you know endless variations on a theme, you mm-hmm. could have ranked choice voting for a primary election that could still be a partisan primary, mm-hmm. um, and then you know you go on to the general. So there's lots of variations on the theme. Yeah, but, and, but and yeah. Maine is experiencing that, and you know they're they're doing this for some state elections and some primaries, but. Right. They, they can't do it right. for the federal elections right. coming out of Maine. Interesting little little uh, sort of backstory on this ranked choice voting. There's a national organization that's probably the chief advocacy organization uh, ar- around this concept called Fair Vote that's founded by two Philadelphia Quakers. <laughs> um, and if you think about ranked choice voting, there is kind of a Quakerly consensus, let's, let's get to consensus kind of a feel to it. Uh, but they've been very effective. They're obviously very involved in the main effort and are, are generally trying to promote the idea, again, as, as, a, as an antidote to this hyper-partisan, crazy political world that we're in. Well, you're making it sound so good. So like all the politicians and elected officials are in favor of this, right? <laughs> They're just lining up. First of all, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a big hurdle in just trying to get people to understand what this is. So there's that. Second thing is, as we saw in Maine, the political parties uh, dig in fiercely, fiercely to oppose this. And uh, my perspective on that is that might make it actually – that might signal that this is a good thing for voters because I think we're living in an era where the parties have taken on this like bloated, uh, outsized sense of themselves that – Dis, that, that has disconnected them from average voters. And I think you saw some of that in the 2016 election where people have had it with this manipulative uh, behavior of the party. Certainly the, like the Bernie Sanders folks were outraged that, you know, the Democratic Party was cooking the process so that they couldn't win. So the fact that the parties oppose it might actually signal that this is a reform that, that voters might so like. So if, if- – People want to sense the appeal. Actually, if you cast your mind back to the 2016 presidential race and think about um, a ranked choice voting sort of instant runoff after maybe some winnowing in the primaries, you could have had a ballot that had Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, John Kasich, Marco Rubio, and Donald Trump. Yeah, just just saying, you know, right. as as the people who ended up surviving, doing the best job of surviving the round of primaries. Um, and you'd be ranked choice voting them. And if there was someone on that ballot who you really, really, really didn't want to see become president, even if you weren't sure, you know, between a couple of others, you can sort of stack your ballot to put that person last or leave them off, I guess, altogether um, to try to ensure that the person you really don't want 
um, falls out in one of the early rounds. There's a lot of strategy to it that puts the power back in the hands of the voter and away from the parties, sort of rigging the primaries, as yeah. was uh, I alleged. Mean, you would uh, like to think and maybe even anticipate that voters would enjoy the process of constructing their ballots. They get to play strategist, you know, not just sort of casting their one vote for whomever and letting the chips fall where they may. You know, you could probably it wouldn't take long to come to the conclusion that that Donald Trump was the perfect candidate to win in the context in which he appeared. Mm-hmm. What was it? 17 candidates. He picks them off one by one because he has a consistently rabid, you know, defensible base of voters. And if you in the primary system, that's all you need. It's it's a little uh, on the by the same token. If you had a ranked choice setup, uh, it's it's much harder to understand how he could have won in that in that environment where you would have been forced to uh, appeal to a larger base. Actually, of some political scientists ran a ranked choice voting experiment um, or thought experiment after 2016, where they threw Michael Bloomberg in. Yeah. as an independent and a ranked choice thing. And it was very easy to imagine a scenario just with a three, three-way race yeah. or four-way race, I guess, with Jill Stein in there as well. By the way, um, I, th- where, I think... When Blue- Bloomberg could have won as yeah. the second choice of most people going in. Right. And that's a very strong, universally-like second choice has a chance to win yeah. eventually. By the way, I think this is true, is that a ranked choice voting process is how the Academy Awards are given out or the Grammys? Anyone? You got, Anyone? You got me, David. <laughs> it's one of all, those. <laughs> all I know is don't let Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway uh, announce right, the results right, of the right, election. Right, right, right. Oops. <laughs> and our winner is Chester yeah, A. Arthur. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those. Uh, right. for, for further research on another we'll, episode. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to you in the next episode. Yeah. By the way, one of the things that we ought to think about is that if we even want to allow for the possibility of ranked choice voting, we would have to buy uh, voting machines that would accommodate that. And this is a a decision that's uh, emerging uh, because partly from concerns about uh, the security vulnerabilities of Philadelphia and Pennsylvania's voting machines, there's a real uh, movement now, and Governor Wolf has embraced this, to require counties to buy new voting machines that have higher levels of security than the ones we've had in the past. So this this question of, of buying voting machines that enable ranked choice voting, even if we don't do it right away, will be coming up soon. And if we don't uh, allow for that, we may then be unable to move in that direction wow. for the next... 20 years, yeah, 15 do, years. Do we know where Vladimir Putin stands on ranked choice voting? <laughs> he's not so much of a ranked choice voter. <laughs> no, I don't know. Well, he's, he's a remarkable he, campaigner, though. He wins with 95% right. of the votes. He believes in ranked choice something. voting as long as there's one choice. <laughs> That's right. So, David, what do you think um, the chances are that our great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania would ever follow the lead of Maine? Or California in doing this. Maine's probably, you know, following Maine's lead probably more likely than California, mm-hmm. unless it's people realize that there's a California Pennsylvania, <laughs> which there is. Yeah, uh, I don't think folks in Pennsylvania feel a little lot of kinship with with California. This might m- might be one of those ideas that just uh, percolates, and you know, we're interested in this and might look for some ways to try out the 
the process. There's actually a, a, a website you can use that whose name escapes me that you can use to sort of design your own ranked choice voting process. We use this at a, a, a strategic planning session with our board a little while ago. So it's the kind of thing that if you give people a sense of, uh, you know, that they can learn and practice this, maybe it becomes one of those things that doesn't happen, then all of a sudden it does happen. Right. That's a that's a great point. Use it in the school board election. Use it at the, well, commu- the community meeting and all that. And yep. then people get acclimated to how it works. Yep. So you said the organization pushing this is Fair Vote? Yeah, there's the Fair Vote, which is a national organization, I think, based out of Tacoma Park, Maryland. Uh, and, and it would be related to that, but somewhat separate. There's a website called OPAVOTE, O-P-A-V-O-T-E dot com that allows you to uh, use the tool for various purposes to give people a sense of how to practice uh, ranked choice voting. Thank you, David. You're welcome. Well, that concludes our episode of 20 by 70, looking at the issue of ranked choice voting. If you like the episode, we'd like you to do a little voting of your own. Go on SoundCloud or iTunes and review the podcast and give us some love. We'd appreciate it. We also want to give some love to our host for this podcast, WXBN Public Radio in University City. They've been very generous in allowing us studio space while our regular home at Kelly Writer's House on the Penn campus is being renovated. Special thanks to Mike Vasilikos of WXBN, who's just been a great help. Always a great help is our producer, Joel Patterson. Always a welcome presence on the podcast is the CEO and president of the Committee of 70, David Thornburg. And special thanks to our guest, Siobhan Lyons of Citizen Diplomacy International, who did such a great job of describing the joys, pleasures, and benefits of ranked choice voting. Well, until next time, uh, we hope you keep thinking about policy and politics, and above all, our usual bit of concluding advice, expect more Philadelphia. You don't say, okay, well, then him, and then him. No, wait, then her. That's, that's splitting up your vote. It's almost communism.